The Chabad Pulse podcast discusses serious issues and interviews guests in a free-form, open manner, occasionally touching on adult topics that may be unsuitable for children's ears. The show is a running discussion about the Chabad Lubavitch community. However, it's in no way, shape, or form intended to represent an official or authoritative view of the opinions and positions of the community or its leadership. Please contact your nearest Chabad rabbi for personal guidance on these issues and email us at ChabadPulse at gmail.com to let us know if you think we've gotten something wrong, especially if you believe it requires public correction. You are listening to the Chabad Pulse podcast. On this week's episode, we have Rabbi Moshe Lieblach, the principal of Hamasifta. We discuss some of the chinuch challenges our community is facing and explore some of the ways we can and should be meeting these challenges. And we have me, your host, explaining what Chabad Pulse is, why it exists, and how we plan on starting a serious conversation and keeping it going. Let's get the show on the road. Welcome to the very first episode of the Chabad Pulse podcast. I am your host, Shalom Nemenev, and I am very excited to be here talking to you. Chabad Pulse is a platform with a very simple goal, starting a conversation. The conversation about our community, about our future, about what it means to be a Lubavitcher today, what it will mean to be a Lubavitcher tomorrow. Although starting, you know, that's not necessarily the correct word to use here. Maybe hosting is the right word, because this conversation obviously is not new. It's something we've all engaged in. All of us who care about our future, who care about what's going on with us now, in all the communities of Lubavitch all across the world, whether you're in Miami, Los Angeles, New York, Israel, Australia, and many others, we all care about our community. We all care about our future. And we all talk about it. We talk about it amongst our friends, our family, our communities, our shoals, our schools. We've already been having this conversation. But to this point, I personally don't believe it's been a very effective conversation. There are slow motion changes that are happening to us. Instead of us making those changes purposefully, they're happening to us. And I think the reason that is, is because we're not talking to each other. is because we're not having a connected conversation. We're having disconnected conversations. We have a good bull session in a dorm room. We have a nice argument around a Shabbos table. But that's, that's as far as it goes. And if someone had a good idea, if someone had a thought, if someone got inspired to work for change, it's over. There's the, the chance is gone. With the end of that conversation, that moment, it's over. There are very few platforms online where there is serious thought happening, serious discussion happening about what we want our future to look like on so many issues. Issues like chinuch, issues like shaduchim, issues like the questions of, of how, peop- how people are supposed to make a living today, the questions of what it means to be a shliach today. All of those things, we're not talking about them in a productive way. So that's where Chabad Pulse comes in. I've dreamed of this for a very long time. And it's finally happening because 
well, no one else is doing it. To be clear, I'm not especially qualified for this. My qualifications are that I care, that I'm passionate, and that I want to do this. And recognizing my own limitations in this area, the goal of Chabad Pulse will be to talk to people who may have something valuable to actually share. We're looking for people to talk to who have actual expertise and actual experience in some of the more complicated questions that we're going to discuss. That's the goal. Talk to people who know something useful, get them together, bounce ideas off each other, and see if we can't find a way forward. Now, obviously, looking for a way forward requires reckoning with the past. But Chabad Pulse will emerge Hashem not be a backwards-looking podcast. We discuss, we understand, but we don't look to blame, we don't look to destroy, we don't look to attack. That isn't the goal. The goal is to find productive ways forward. That does require understanding why problems exist if they do, how they got there. But it does not require spending time and energy attacking. The basic structure of the show is a short introduction, um, then a 25-30 minute, maybe sometimes longer, interview with a guest, um, an expert, or someone with some serious experience in the topic that we're discussing, a little closing, and that's it. We want these to be easily digestible. We want these to be interesting to listen to. We want them to be pleasant and want them to be useful, most importantly. I very much hope that you'll give us a shot. I very much hope that as we grow, that as we move forward, you'll support us. And my sincerest wish is that you'll find us worth your time. So without further ado, let's get into our very first interview. Rabbi Moshe Lieblach, the principal of Hamasifta. We'd like to welcome to the show Rabbi Moshe Lieblach, the principal of Hamasifta, the Masifta of Alashiva Ocean Parkway. Thank you for joining us, Rabbi. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's really amazing what you're doing. Well, I, I appreciate that. Well, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's, it's, it's early days yet. Um, it's an honor to have you here because you are a principal um, and a principal of a Chabad institution. The principal is a uh, is a is a fun position, I guess, to be in these days because you know everyone's talking about the chinuch system and you know how can we fix it, how can we improve it, and the buck kind of stops with you when it comes to that question. So. Let's ask you the question. How do we fix the Chinuch system, Rabbi? How do we fix the Chinuch system? Um, well, first, I want to thank you for having me. This is um, about a half hour, and I really appreciate it. Um, we all speak about the um, importance of Chinuch, and we know it's important, and we speak about it, and we know it's important, but to really take the time to listen and to, to really make change. Um, the Rebbe Rashab spoke. The Rebbe Rashab said about um, Chinuch that... Parents should spend a half hour every day thinking about the chinuch of their kids. Um, just imagine if we did that. Imagine if if a par- if if every couple um, sat down for a half hour at night discussing their kids' chinuch, what that would do. Um, not only for shalom bias, what that would I mean transform the house, but really a half hour a day spending on their kids' chinuch. Um, it doesn't mean a half hour a day every night sitting and talking. But really, if we spend a half hour a day, and if you think about it, chinuch is our life. It is. Once, it's, it's actually funny because parents these days are working themselves to the bone to be able to to be able to be mechanic their kids. Yeah, to take care of the kids but, the best way possible. <laughs> right. The best the best schools, and and we give our yeah, and we give our life for chinuch. But we need to sometimes just take the time to really, to really think and to really think: Are we doing it right? 
And it doesn't have to be a half hour a day thinking about it. It can be a half hour a day um, spending time doing homework with your kids. Just a half hour spending quality time playing a game with your kids. Um, and yeah, sometimes just sitting down and talking and, and discussing the issues, what's happening in the house, what's happening with this child, um, their friends, their emotional needs, their social needs, their learning. Uh, like you said, parents give everything for their children, but sometimes we get so caught up in everything else that we need to just stop and, and really focus on what our kids need. So are you saying that the big fix to the chinuch system is more parental investment, more parents thinking about it more deeply? It's both. It's both. I mean, teachers need to spend a half hour every day speaking about their students in their school. Um, in my school, we spend between a half hour and an hour every day. Our teachers, we sit in my office and we discuss, just children go through wow. lists. Um, no, it's not only parents. It's, it's, and even somebody who doesn't have any kids, um, just community members. It, it's a mitzvah to put on tefillin every day. It's a mitzvah to, to, to you know, think about chinuch. Chinuch is... Um, it's for everyone. It, actually, chinuch is a um, community obligation. According to halacha, it's not only on the parents. The, it's, a, it's a community um, responsibility. There was one woman I heard about that she, um, she was a teacher for many years. And once her kids already got married and moved out of the house, so she, she advertised that for a half hour a day, you can call her up and she'll help with homework. A half hour a day. So wow. she wasn't helping for her own children. It's just helping people, and we can help. We can help. We can help the community as a community. Um, if we all invested in our our children's chinuch, it would make a huge difference. Okay. So the first thing is just to to be aware and to 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 be conscious of what's important, what's our priorities. So that's more of a, a big picture mindset fix. Yeah. Specifically, let's let's go down let's let's go down to brass tacks. Mm-hmm. You you're mm-hmm. you're a principal of the school, which means that every single day you see these successes and challenges and, and sometimes, you know, big challenges that children face, mm-hmm. that your teachers face in trying to help the children. Right. What are some of the big things that, that, that jump out at you practically, like that, that, that affect, that, that, make, that make life harder, that, that, that you think can be addressed? Okay, so I'm in Chenoch for about eight years. I mean, I'm about 18 years. I started off um, just as a shliach in a yeshiva in Mansi 18 years ago, and they were happy with me. Um, there was somehow I was able to just connect with the Bachram and they enjoyed the learning. So they asked me to come back. I came back as a dorm counselor and I worked in the yeshiva and then I came back the next year as a mashgeach in the Zal. Um, I got married and six months later I became principal, which is actually interesting. <laughs> wow, that's that's a pretty big jump. It's it's actually interesting, but that, I mean, thinking back, that's one of the problems with the education. I mean, how parents trusted me <laughs> at at 20, 23 years old, I never taught in a classroom with no no real chinuch experience. And the next thing I know, I have 45 students in my care. Wow. Um, Baruch Hashem, I, 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 mean, I got one, one really good piece of advice from my father when I just started. My father said, hire the best teachers. Um, he said, hire the best staff. He said, what happens in a, a company is that many... Um, many people, many CEOs and many people on top are afraid to hire employees that are better than them. So what happens is that as the chain of command goes, you know, the people actually doing the work on the bottom. He said, always hire people that are better than you. And if you do that, you'll be fine. So I hire top teachers. And Baruch Hashem, you know, I, I've made mistakes, but we had a lot of success. Um, so the ship I have, okay. So one, I, one, sorry, one side question sure. before we continue. Um, and let's, you know, make sure to get back to that. Um, top teachers, 
it's an interesting thing because I think that it, it's it's I think there was a perception for years that the best people, the best people in our community, weren't ending up in Chirach. I think I think that was mm-hmm. I think that's been the perception. I think you know my own experiences as a student mm-hmm. through our system can kind of confirm that. I think the best people were right. going on shluchas or yeah. doing going to business. There, there's. Right. Do you think that the chinuch system has to do have more of a focus on attracting the talent, most talented people? Well, that is changing. It is changing already um, at a, a slower pace than we would like, but it is changing. Um, we have now a lot of talent in chinuch. There's really some really good talent in chinuch today. Um, we can use more. Can definitely use more, but it, but it, it it it's definitely changing. Do you think our community is equipped to keep in a, to to attract and keep these people? We're talking about, I mean, to be blunt, financially. So that, right, that goes into the financial issue. Financially, it's tough. Yeah, we we definitely need more resources. We definitely need more resources. Um, that's what it, a lot of it boils down to, just being able to pay, you know, pay decent salaries. That you know, people would want to stay in Chinuch. That's a big challenge. Okay. Um, so, so as I was saying, Samai Yeshiva, um, so we have Bachram, the, uh, the Bachram that I was getting, or the Bachram that I am getting, are Bachram that are good, I mean, good boys, but they aren't succeeding in the mainstream Yeshivas. So I was sort of forced over the years to figure out what are the challenges that these Bachram are facing, and, and, and what are the, you know, failures of the Chinuch system, and why, and was, why aren't these Bachram succeeding? Why aren't they able to make it in the mainstream Yeshivas, in the mainstream, you know, quote-unquote system that they call um, so over the years, I was forced to really um, learn about it, study, ask questions, and learn more, and ask more questions. Um, I sort of have a uh, mahalach of what's happening, you know, where it's going. I can, you know, I'm happy to share. The first thing that I find is of why, why Bachram. And again, I work specifically with Bachram, so I, I'm just more familiar with that. But my assumption is that it's, you know, throughout. Um, the first problem I'm finding is dysfunctional homes dysfunctional homes um, and there are many different levels different so many levels of dysfunction at homes I've seen some Bachram which are extreme dysfunction um, homes that are falling apart lack of money to an extreme level where there's no money for basic clothing and food um, large families with neglect um, divorced homes shalom bias issues um, I've had there was one girl that I was speaking to that her parents were fighting once and well, they were arguing and as a way to you know get back at each other they used one of the kids as a pawn you know they spoke in third party they used one of the kids as a pawn to speak about the other one the girl was telling me how that night she went to her room with a knife and she was going to commit suicide and she 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 was crying and she fell asleep with the knife next to her, and she woke up the next morning. Um, just what it does, lack of shalom bias. Um, it really, really hurts a child. And I tell parents, if, if you have a disagreement, go into the room, discuss it, and come back. But never do it in front of a child. But there's even, even smaller levels, which I, I call it dysfunction, for lack of a better word, but I'll give an example of what I mean. Um, there was a bacha that, that was by him in yeshiva, that he was telling me that, that this year... His home is very stressful, and it's just chaotic. He was having a hard time that year. He said that his father took on a second job. He was working at night to bring in another, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year because they want to go to Israel for their son's bar mitzvah. A different child. A different child's bar mitzvah. So here's a child that's struggling. The father isn't home to make more money to spend on a bar mitzvah. That's uh, that's skewed. That that's dysfunctional, and that's community wide. It's dysfunctional. We. 
our, our children need our parents home. Our parents need to be home. You know, basic necessities, yes, the father has to go out and work. But if our children are our priorities, then act like they're our priorities and, and really treat them like that. There's no reason that a father should have to work a second job at night and not be home with his children for a full year. And the boy told me that he suffered from it because they want to spend $20,000 on a bar mitzvah. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Our children are our priorities. Um, and then there's abuse. You know, there's abuse. I had one child, uh, one Bachelor was telling me that he lives with his father and his father was upset and his father didn't talk to him wow. in almost two years. And they eat supper at the same table. The father doesn't talk to him. And, and we have kids in our system that are going through that. We have kids in our system that are going through that. Um, as teachers, we have to be aware of it. As teachers, we have to um, be able to catch these I mean, things. I think, I think we're all aware of these issues, but how does that manifest specifically in Chinuch? When, it, when a kid comes from a dysfunctional home, what, what's different about his, about his day in school? So how can he concentrate? How can somebody succeed? In it? And so I, I know myself, and I'm having a hard day, uh, you know, just to, to, to concentrate on the, you know, and I'm an adult. Um, when something goes wrong, when there's stress, when there's, as adults, we have a hard time. So children, when they're coming from, you know, dysfunctional, but we can really make a difference. Um, schools can make a difference. Uh, there are students that come to school because school is a safe place. So that could really make a difference. Um, helping out in the community. People helping out. That could really, we could really make a difference. That's, that's one thing that I find. Um, just dysfunction at homes on, on many different levels. Another one, which is a big one, which I think needs to be addressed, um, is learning disability. And that goes into the whole parsha of, of schools. Are we catering to all of our students? Are the schools catering to every student? That goes back into the big picture of, you know, who is schools for? Are schools, are yeshivas meant for everyone? Is every bacher supposed to go through yeshiva um, learning gemara, rashi, tesvas, mefarshim for seven, eight hours a day? That's been a uh, that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's been that's been a, a drum I've been begging for a while. So we all know that that some bacham are not capable of that, and and not everyone has to do that. So what are we doing to fix it? Um, I think we need major school reform in that the schools need to start teaching by level. I mean, think about it in the corporate world. Imagine you were hired, you know, any company. You're hiring a company. The first year you're stocking shelves. The second year, since you're there for two years, so now you're already a receptionist. And the third year, you become a vice president. And the fourth year, you become... <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But in our school system, where, where education should be geared for every individual student, that's the way it works. You come in first grade, and you get promoted to second grade, and you get promoted to third grade. And fourth grade and fifth grade, you just move on because that's how many years you're in school. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense. So that's one area of reform that our schools need majorly. Um, I hear a lot of backlash from, you know, that parents are going to be against it and the stigma of, you know, a child being left back or a child being in a lower class. So two things. First of all, there are enough students in many of our schools to have different levels within that grade. That could happen. And second of all, what I've seen in my school is that it's not true. If, if a child is learning and he's succeeding, he's happy to be in that class. I mean, if I had a choice, if I asked the Bachar, um, would you rather be in a class where you're learning Gemara and you can understand it? Or would you rather sit through three hours a day in a share where they're learning Mepharsha and you'll have no idea what's going on? So, I, I mean, <laughs> what child would want to be? And I find it interesting <laughs> by the regions. We have English in my school. Um, it's a, I'm a, a you know, English, full English program. It's a region-based program. The 11th grader has no problem sitting with a 9th grader learning algebra. 
I've never had an 11th grader ask me, you know, it's not fair, I have to go through algebra again. I want to learn, uh, uh, you know, trigonometry because I'm already here for three years. If you didn't pass your algebra test, you take it again. Um, so that's one area that, that we really need reform to, to so, teach teach individuals. We're not teaching, it's not a factory. We're teaching individuals. So I had this argument with a, um, a mashpia of a very large uh, Chabad institution, a Zal, mm-hmm. a very, very large one. And um, I, I, was, I was saying that. I, I personally believe that it's malpractice for yeshiva to accept a child who they know isn't capable of, of, uh, of, of functioning within their system. Mm-hmm. That it's absolutely malpractice. Yeah. And he was telling me that he may agree, but it's on the parents. And, and yeshivas could never be the ones to start that revolution. The yeshivas could never be the ones to say, hey, listen, parent, your child doesn't, is not capable. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just it's not for him. Not everyone was designed to sit in his office 10 hours a day. But my, my second question to the Mashpir would be was, okay, so your child is here now. What are you doing? Right, well, that's not every, not every yeshiva is equipped to make, to make those kind of wholesale changes so to their structure. Down. No, it, it, <laughs> it doesn't need to be wholesale. Okay, correct. We do need wholesale changes. But if the child is in your school, what are you doing? Right. What are you doing for him? So since the parents sent the child and the board or the principal did accept him, now what? Now he's your child. Now he's in your class. Now it's your responsibility. Of course, well, I understand all that, and, and and you know, obviously that 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 that's a that's a good question. But if if the answer to all that is that you know we can't do much, do you believe that the change has to come from the yeshiva side, where yeshivas have to make the parents aware that they're that not everyone fits in the system, because this has been a reality for a long time, right? And parents don't want to hear it. Well, it depends how it's presented. The way I presented in my school, um, I've had almost no resistance. The way I present it is that your child is now at the level of learning Gemara. He needs the skills to first be able to read basic Gemara. As soon as your child can master 15, 20 pages of Gemara, he can move up. It can happen tomorrow. When I feel confident that your child is on the next level, he can move up. Right. And if he moves up and, he, and it's too hard for him, it doesn't make sense for him to stay there. He'll move down to a level where he's learning. I mean, how can a parent resist that? How can a parent say, no, I want my child to be in a class where he's not going to be learning? It's just... If it's presented, if it's presented properly, I I, I can't imagine, a, you know, sane parent that would that wouldn't want that. Okay. I think it's the school. <laughs> In other words, I think there's resistance from the schools to do that. Um, you think it just be more work? It's more work. There's no question <laughs> about it. It's more work. Okay, that's 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 fair. So you're saying maybe he, the mashpia wasn't being totally on, on you know on the level. You know, that's that's a shocking thing to say, but it must be in our system. But you know maybe. Um, okay, so dysfunctional homes, learning disabilities, learning disabilities. That's that's one. I believe at the core that every child is good, and every child wants to succeed. That's the reality. I've never spoken to a mother that said my child is an animal. Or my child is, is a mess. Or my child is you know, horrible. I've spoken to teachers who say that. I've never heard that from a parent. So a, a, a parent that it's, it's their child, they know their children and they know that their children are good. And they know that, that if their child is having a hard time, it's because of a certain reason. Um, educators need to feel the same way. Educators need to approach education the same way. That every child is inherently good and every child wants to succeed. And if they're not succeeding, there's a reason why not. And, and just like a parent breaks their head and tries to figure out, what can I do to help my child? Every teacher needs to work and try to figure out, what can I do to help that child? Now, if a teacher has a child that they really can't help, 
then at a certain point, a teacher has an obligation to tell the principal that I can't help this child. He can't be in my class. I had that with one of my teachers um, when I was first starting. This was my second year in yeshiva. Um, so there was a child that was a very difficult child. He was having a hard time in class. He was having a hard time concentrating. Um, and he wasn't able to, to just stay in the class. And the Rebbe did whatever he knows how to do to help him. And the Rebbe said he can't. And I was, you know, a new principal, and I believed that every child needs, you know, every child needs to succeed. And I told, you know, I was pushing for the Rebbe to, to hold the kid. At one point, the Rebbe called me in the morning. I remember this. He called me at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he said, if that child is in the room, I'm not coming. Wow. <laughs> he owned up, and he took responsibility. And it wasn't, it wasn't that the child was, it was that he can't help this child. He did whatever he knows, and he can't. And I had to take the child out of the class. We didn't send the kid out of school. We figured out another program for this kid with tutors. But that teacher took responsibility for his class. And I think principals admire that. Okay. So that leads to another question. Because um, I actually taught in a school for a year. Um, and the question of discipline is, I think, a question a lot, that a lot of teachers struggle with. Mm-hmm. Because in today's day and age, their options are extremely limited. Like almost, almost non-existent. As far as, as far as discipline goes. Now, obviously, you know, you'll say that if a child is, you know, being educated the right way, they won't need discipline. But sometimes mm-hmm. kids, kids need discipline. They, they, they need to be, you know, there need to be consequences. Okay. As a principal, how do you how do you approach the issue? So we rarely have to punish kids. Rarely. Um, we have a whole different approach, which is revolutionary. In today's, again, I deal with Masifta. In today's Masiftas, which is that we talk to their students. We talk to the Bacharim. Um, and that goes back to the belief that every every student is good, and every student wants to succeed. And if they're not succeed, uh, and if they're not succeeding, then there's a you know some disability or there's something holding them back. Um, just as a side note, the word punishment comes from the word inflicting pain. Right. So we use that. <laughs> so if a child is having a hard time in class, we inflict pain on him. And the, what's tricky about uh... it? What's tricky about it is that sometimes it works. So we think that we're successful. Sometimes when we inflict pain on a student, and they do, you know, are they and they are bent back and you know bent back into shape. And as when they do behave, that's actually that's so, a, that's a good turn of phrase. You're forcing, so you're forcing a child to conform. You're you. So you're the pain of conforming is less than the pain of the punishment that they're having. Um, I don't believe in that. I think that if every person wants to succeed, take learning for example. So. Um, I'll give an example. Food. By nature, people enjoy food. That's by nature. We enjoy, we enjoy, we enjoy the taste of food. Now, if, if someone will tell you that they don't like eating, or they, um, uh, you put food in front of them and they don't want to eat it. So it's one of two things. Either the food wasn't prepared properly, the food looks bad or tastes bad, or the person is sick. If the person has, has a, fire, a virus, a person has a flu, a person is, a person is sick, or he has you know, some disability, he can't taste his mouth, his taste buds. But... Human nature is that he likes food. A, a person enjoys eating. And if the food is presented properly, if the food tastes good, and the person is healthy, he'll eat, he'll enjoy it. The same as with learning. Learning, we enjoy learning. A, a small child asks questions. We, we love learning by nature. We're curious and we want to find out more, we want to learn more. Um, every kid comes home in first grade with their siddur, and they're so excited to have a siddur. They come in with their first chumash, and they're so excited. My son tells me we're learning Rashi, and he's excited to show me the Rashi. It says, you know, he learned only one Rashi, but he's so excited about it. And they learn Mishnais, and they get a Mishnais, they're excited. And then Gemara, they're, 
They're so excited to the first day of Gemara. And then what happens? So one of two things. Either it's not taught properly or there's some kind of disability. Right. Um, so as, as, as parents, as, as educators, and as a community, we need to know. Um, we need to figure out ways to, to present the material properly. And if there's any disability, to help the child. Okay. So again... All that being said, you know, that's, that's obviously, I think, you know, that, that, that'll, that'll make sense. But I think the question of discipline still remains. I think, okay, I think teachers so, in the classroom would tell you that they do the best they can. And the child is, is doing well. He's progressing. He's learning. He's happy to be in school. Mm-hmm. However, he has some behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. And the kid, you know, acts out. The kid um, hits, you know, is, struggles with his classmates, gets into fights. Um, the kid, you know brings things that aren't supposed to be in school to school, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Kids, kids so are I, kids. Yeah, kids yeah, misbehave. Oh, so, good point. Very good point. By the way, part of part of education is, part of being an educator is to know that kids will mess up and that's fine. Right. That's fine. Kids are kids. We all mess up. So to you, the question of discipline doesn't even apply in these situations. It, it, it applies. Okay, so there are two things. Um, every situation really needs to be analyzed. Every student, every, you um, every, every student is different. There is no blanket. Um, but the general rule is that, yeah, sometimes kids are just being kids. And, and sometimes you need to speak to a kid. If, if a child, I mean, just the example, if a child brings something to school that's um, uh, inappropriate. So I would call on the kid and say, here's the policy. You're not allowed. You knew the policy. It gets taken away. I may give it back at the end of the day, bring it back, and never bring it back to, to, to yeshiva. If it brings it back again, I call him in and say, one second. You, you knew the policy. You brought it in. So, so either I would take it away. Until the end of the year, or I would say something like, "Okay, I want you to go home." And uh, 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 again, this is high school. I want you to go home, and when you're ready to commit to not bringing these things to yeshiva, come back. So what I'm doing is I'm I'm shifting the responsibility back to him. He knows that I'm not punishing him. There's right. no punishment. There's no consequence. It's such a, you just can't be I'm, in school with this. You just can't be in school with this. Whenever you're ready, you can be ready right now. You can tell me right now that you're ready, and and you can go back into class. If you need to go home for a day, think about you know go home for a day to think about it. And and I use this with anything. I really use this um, with anything. And it 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 puts responsibility on the child. I'm not a bad person. I, I lay out very clearly what happened, what the policies are, where he broke the policy. And whenever you're ready to comply, you can come back. Um, a Rebbe can do the same thing in his classroom. Um, what happens when you use that approach, you can then educate the child. Okay, so the kid is being fidgety in class. So you call the parents and you say, look, here's the reality. The reality is that for your son to succeed and for my class to succeed, your child has to stay quietly in class. Whenever he's ready to come back, he can come back. What can we do to help him? Got it. But that's... Edu- but then you're educating him. You're not punishing him. Okay, every time you're going to turn around in your class, you know, every time you turn around, you're going to have to write a hundred times, I will not turn around. You're not educating him. But instead, okay, so, so I want you back in my class and I love when you're here and I appreciate you being here and I want you back. And whenever we can figure out a way for you to stay in your seat without disturbing, you're welcome back and let's figure out ways. What goes on, you know, what's, what's happening in your head that you feel the need to turn around? What's, but that's education. You know, that, that's education. Right. And I find so, that our system, our, our, our school system is lacking education. The core. <laughs> That's, uh, so there, there, there's another issue that, that I think uh, is, is rising in prominence. Um, you mentioned professional homes or disabilities. I think a third one is probably that in today's day and age, our communities don't necessarily share 
the assumptions that we all used to share about what you know chinuch should look like, about 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 what about about you know from kai questions like that. I think that there are there are now more you know ideological strains in our community, mm-hmm. and you know we haven't had this great separation yet where people are formed their own communities. They're they're still officially part of the Chabad community, but their children are still in our schools. Mm-hmm. It's a serious problem. It really is. Um, think of it this way. You call a plumber to your house and you tell him that the room is cold and if you can install heating. So the um, plumber comes, takes measurements of the room and, and uh, you know, puts in a three-foot radiator and the room is warm. The plumber goes home. The next day you call the plumber back and you say the room is cold. So he comes back and he sees the windows open. He says, oh, this is a room where you have the window open. No problem. We need to put on a second radiator. So he puts in the second radiator and it's warm. The next day you call the plumber and you tell him it's still cold. He comes back and he sees two windows open. And he says, oh, you have two windows open here. You need a, a much larger one. And this goes on for three, four days. At a certain point, the plumber will say, look, you know, there's, there's only so much I can do. Um, yeshivas are working hard. And yeshivas are trying but yeah, we definitely need support from the parents. We definitely need need that support. And I've seen many different levels of of uh, you know different homes. Um, I've had parents where uh, there was one parent that would tell their kid before going to Fabringen, um, you know, make sure you don't get brainwashed by the mashpia. Wow. Um, I've had one parent that would make fun of their son for going to the mikvah. You know, only pedophiles go to the mikvah. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So that's an extreme. But but there really there there's. <laughs> As parents, we're role models. Um, kids can learn math from someone they don't like, but to teach values, to teach morals, um, ethics, that comes from role modeling. You can tell your child not to steal, but if you steal, he's going to steal. Um, so really, to teach values and teach what's important, I think that comes from um, uh, you know role modeling, and and that's in many ways we 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 have to as as parents and as teachers as well. I mean, it was the, the blame is on teachers as much as it's on parents. Um, but we have to role model real, real authentic enjoyment for Yiddishkeit, for example. Um, I'll give an example. I was in Shul one day and I saw a 12, it was during Sphira, and a 12-year-old boy asked his father if, he, if he's still saying with a bracha. So the father made a face. He's like, I haven't been doing that for a long time already. And just the way he said it with such like, Scorn and like uh, you know uh, you know it's been a while already since I like what what kind of message is he giving his child or another father that was saying um, you know I'm the month of Elul we add I'm the month of Elul so right before he's like oh here, here's another thing to forget <laughs> it, it's these these aren't terrible things in the sense that you know breaks a child but what it does is is that it it teaches a child what's important. When, when a parent is excited about meeting a politician and he's not excited of learning a new tesis, you know, what are the priorities? Right. If a parent, you know, tells a child that you can't wash Nagelwasser because the floor is going to get wet, the water spills low and you don't clean up after yourself, and the only way you can wash Nagelwasser is if you clean up after yourself, then what are you telling them? What's priorities? So the, the floor being dry is, is more important than washing Nagelwasser. Um, kids pick up... Okay, those are very, you know, clear... Clear messages of what's important, but there are more. But there are, but more, there subtle are more, things. yeah, there are more subtle things. If if, if we show what's important, um, as teachers, as parents, and and as a community, 
Uh, you go to some communities between Mincha and and the shuls are packed. The shuls are full of fathers sitting with their sons learning. Um, you go to shuls in other communities, you can't find a place to sit. And so what's important? What's important? We're role models. And if, if it's important to us, it's going to be important to our children. I, I, I think of it this way. Every child wants to be like their parents. If, if a child is brought up in a happy, healthy, from chassidish environment where the home is healthy and the home is happy and, and Yiddishkeit is exciting and the parents are happy to be from and they talk about it and they're excited about every mitzvah, they're excited about Shabbos, they're excited about another mitzvah and they're excited about the Ebesha, they're excited. A child by nature will want to emulate that. Children, there's no reason children would want to leave. Children are not, my Rebbe Heller says this often, he says when, when Bachrim or, or people run away from their homes and they you know, run away from Yiddishkeit, they're not running to anything, they're running from. Right. Um, if Yiddishkeit is presented in a way that the parents love it, there's a story of, of uh, you know, there was somebody who came off the boat from Russia, they just came to America, and you know, back then, every Monday they would get a new job, and the next Monday they would be fired because they didn't come you know, to, to work on Shabbos. And every Monday they would get a, a pink slip and they would try to find a job again. There was one father that would take the pink slip and he would put it in a frame every week and hang it on the wall with such pride and show his parents what, what pride this is, how much he's sacrificing for Yiddishkeit. And another parent may be doing the same thing. He's keeping Shabbos. But every pink slip he gets, he goes home and he complains. So what are the children here? It's tough. What do I need it for? Right. Um, we need to role model it. I mean, go to go to seven seventy. I, I, four o'clock in the afternoon. There's a million shachris. How how do we as a community allow that? How do we tolerate such a disgrace? Brachas levatalas. How, how do we, as a community, allow that? What what message does that give to our kids? That Yiddishkeit is a joke. That uh, the whole. I, I, how do we allow that? Right. So I was in a show. How do we allow that? Is is a is a question. So, that ties Every, into that ties into a bigger question. I think about about schools, because there are no community structures that can enforce things really that you know mm-hmm. the community will listen to, except the schools, because the schools have the actual power to not accept or you know expel a child. So, what responsibility do schools have to enforce these kind of standards among parents? So, I I don't fully agree with that. Um, at the schools are the ultimate responsibility. I'm, 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 I'm not saying they do have responsibility. I'm asking, do they have the responsibility? Because there are no other institutions that are capable of doing this. So I've heard that suggestion of you know schools getting tough on their standards and really you know creating strict guidelines of what kind of you know what students are meant to accept. Think about this in Tavshin Yud, Tavshin Yud Aleph. Back then, the educators, what did they have? Do you think they had better homes? Back then, they had homes that weren't Shemesh Shabbos. People didn't keep kashos, tarasim, mishpacha. The schools, what they did was, is that they changed their tactics and they became educators. And they became ashpim and they inspired. So yeah, if the schools could enforce, enforce as much as you could. But I don't think that's at the core. I, I don't think that's going to change anything. I, I, I don't think it's going to change much. I, I don't think schools have the power, even if they did enforce and they made everyone sign a paper that you have to, you know, no internet. Or you made people sign a paper that you have to go to shul three times a day and learn chitas rambam. Is that going to change the chenech at home? Probably not. True. Right. So schools have a responsibility to educate. Um, schools have a responsibility to teachers and the educators there to, to, to show Yiddishkeit and to live Yiddishkeit and to love Yiddishkeit. I, I can't see it happening with schools enforcing any... I think it's not realistic and I don't think it's going to change anything. 
Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So there's an, there's another big issue I see in our community, and I think, you know, schools don't just teach learning. They teach davening as well. I mean, kids learn how to daven in school. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can agree that there's a serious davening problem in our community as well. Yeah. So how does, how, as a principal, how do, you, how do you teach children how to daven? That's a good question. Um, I went to a session once for educators about davening. And there were about 100 educators, teachers, um, principals. It was a full room. It was about an hour and a half. And we were expecting to hear different you know, tricks and techniques how to get kids to daven. Like you have in a class, you learn techniques of how to, you know, classroom management, you learn techniques about uh, uh, lesson planning. So we were all expecting to hear some kind of a trick or some kind of technique how to, you know, quote unquote, trick our kids into davening. And for the hour, hour and a half, all they were saying was, is that you have to daven yourself. That's all it was, is that we have to daven on our own. I was in this shul, I daven inside a simcha, I was in a shul where it was a beautiful program for kids that a really nice program. The kids were sitting with counselors, older Bachram. And you can imagine the older Bachram davening, but there were older Bachram and they had tickets, raffle tickets, and the kids were singing beautiful. And the fathers were all standing around and they were talking. And the, the kids program went till age probably 11 or 12 years old. It's about 12, 13 years old. The kids don't have to daven anymore. And the kids know it. The kids know that, that davening is just for kids and it's a program. Davening is not for adults. If... If a father is sitting at home on Shabbos benching, just benching after the Shabbos meal, and he's really benching that he's taking the Ebesher for the food, that's a powerful impact on his kids. If you're saying Asher Yatzer and you're thanking the Ebesher that you have a healthy body, and, you're, and you really mean it, your kids will see it, and your kids will see that davening is real. Davening, you're actually talking to the Ebesher. Davening is, is something real. I was just, um, this past Shabbos, I was home with my kids and I was saying Karbanas. So my seven-year-old, um, you know, girl was talking to me, and I was telling her that you know I was just pointing that I'm I'm davening. I can't I can't hear what you're saying. So she says, no, just while you're davening, while you're saying the words, just listen to what I'm saying. And I looked at her like, what do you mean? I'm I'm davening. So I said, let's try this. I said, I want you to read a story. And while you're reading the story, I'm gonna have my son who's gonna tell you a story, and I'm gonna ask you questions on the story you're reading and the story that he's telling you, and let's see how it goes. And you know, sure, you know, we'll try it out. And they tried it out, and you know, she was reading and he was talking, and you know, he was just making up a story as he was going, and she was reading, and, and after thirty seconds, she was getting so confused. It's, it's a, 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 you know, it's impossible. So you're saying the solution um, to teaching davening? Davening is my model, my role model again, like what I said before. The way to teach values, the way to teach, the way to teach a value is through living it. And and davening is something. Davening is forty minutes where you're sitting down and you're connecting with Abishter, just basic pirush and that'll it'll transform the whole day. I mean, think about just just the um, you know Pirush Amilus translation of davening. We're thanking the Eibushter for making us a yid, and not, you know not not making us a guy that we have the Eibushter and that we serve the Eibushter. Just that, that 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 impacts for the rest of the, the rest of the day. Um, you know, Shachris Avas Elam, how the Eibushter loves us and how he you know, he gave us the Torah and he was Makar of us and that that just basic Pirush Amilus. How much? Our how children, much do you think? Um, changing the structure of the way we teach davening, making it a more dynamic experience where you're, you know, explaining the teacher would explain to the children as they're going throughout the davening what's happening in each in each uh, in each in each tefillah, thematically, historically. I think it has to happen. But 
how much is the resistance just because the way it's just it's just not done it, it doesn't look like diving the way we're used to it so what why i think i think the teachers <laughs> i think the educators don't dive in. not not again okay i should really backtrack there are many that do um i really and i'm not putting down educators at all and i'm not putting down the there's a, there's a lot of positive there's a lot of positive and there's a lot of young talent there's a lot of people that are really from and that are really solid role models but you can't teach davening if you don't daven yourself as much as you may want to inspire and tell them how beautiful davening it is, if, if you're not living it, you can't teach it. Um, you can't daven with your class. How can you daven shacharis and walk around, you know, getting other kids to daven? That means that you yourself are not concentrating on davening. Also, you're davening with a minion, which also is, you know... Even if you're davening with a minion, even, uh, you know, older... You're minion. a sifta, right? So you are a sifta, age, 7th, 8th grade. If you're davening with, the, with your class, if you're davening with your program, if you're davening then you can't discipline. Rabbi Heller told me this, you know, told me this many years ago. He said, if you're disciplining during davening, you can't daven yourself. You need to wake up earlier. Daven at six in the morning and then come to Yishim and do that. So we worked out a system where during davening, I created the environment and the shul that I don't need a discipline during davening. Um, if I do need a discipline, I need to stop davening and then walk over to a bacher, motion, then get back to my davening and start again. But if I'm saying ashrei, and while I'm and saying Ashray, I'm walking saying, around, you know, pointing to somebody, I'm walking around making fingers. motions. So I'm saying Ashray, I'm praising the Ebishter at the same time, you know, what kind of message? It's not only what kind of message am I giving to somebody else, that I myself am not having. And that's the ultimate message. That, right, that's the ultimate message. All right, well, thank you, Rabbi. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I wish you much atzlacha in your, in your mission. Yeah, you too. Thank you, I appreciate it. All right, thank you very much. Take care. That was Rabbi Moshe Lieblach of Hamasifta. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed speaking to him. I hope you found it informative. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it instructive. I hope you found it productive. If you enjoyed uh, listening to Rabbi Lieblach, if you'd like to hear more guests like him, if you have somebody specific in mind that you'd like to hear from, please do let us know. We are looking for more guests. We are looking for people to talk to. And uh, you can help us. You can help us find out who the people actually want to hear from. So please do let us know. Um, the email address is ChabadPulse at gmail.com. The Facebook page is open. The Twitter page is open. Please contact us and let us know. Um, the Chabad Pulse is also a website. Um, the website is going to have writers and commentators talking about things, ideas, much the same way as the show does, looking for a productive way forward. So if you'd like to write for the website, please, again, let us know. ChabadPulse.gmail.com, Twitter, Facebook. We want to hear from you. All submissions all ideas will be seriously considered. A note on the tone of the show, um, we intend to be uh, adult, unfiltered. That doesn't mean we're going to be obscene, gratuitous, intentionally offensive, but it does mean that things will be discussed openly without euphemism, without hiding behind, uh, um, I don't know, openly is the point. And if you are um, the parent or guardian and uh, you are playing this with an earshot of a child, uh, please use caution and make sure that the subject, the discussion that's being had on the show at that moment isn't something that's, uh, you know, that children shouldn't be listening to. Uh, listeners, please subscribe to the show. Please review the show. That will help us build a following. That will help us attract interesting guests, guests who wouldn't come on unless they thought the show was worth coming on to. So it's a chicken and egg situation, but uh, please be the chicken. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, you know, 
please subscribe, please listen, please spread the word. Um, you know, it's impossible. None of this, none of this works uh, without you. If you are a business owner and you want to advertise on the podcast, well, that's a very good idea. Podcast advertising has been proven to be the most effective current form of advertising. And uh, well, with Mirtashem, as we grow, we're going to have a pretty unique following, a pretty unique uh, listener base. And if you'd like to reach that listener base, again, reach out to us, ChabadPulse at gmail.com or on social media. And uh, let's see if we can make a deal. Uh, we plan to release one episode a week, so look out next week for episode number two. And I'd like to thank you again for taking the time to listen to us. Um, we know this is a lot of trust. We know that this is a, uh, well, this is something new. Um, and we very, very much appreciate you taking the time. We very much appreciate you listening to us. And we sincerely, sincerely hope that we will prove to be worth listening to now and in the future.